Hey, good morning, Harlan. How's everyone doing today? Hey, can we, uh, thank you all of you who are here. You woke up, you saw the snow, you said, no snow's gonna get in my way. I'm headed off to Harlan. Those of you who are watching from home, that's okay. We know you're probably staying safe, staying warm. You're tuning in, we're glad you're here. Can we just all who are here, give it up for those who are watching from home and so and welcome you for being here, yep. So, <laughs> as Dan said, stay tuned for the end of the message, because you may not know what's gonna happen. But I wanna welcome you back to our series that we have been calling Letters from Future Me, because each week we've been looking at something that we wish we could go back and tell our younger selves. Because there are things that we wish our younger selves knew that we know now, but if we knew it then, it would help us live with more purpose and with less regret. And so each week of this series that we've been in this month, we've looked at some of those areas of our lives that we could have used a little more instruction in. Things like, things like our money. What do we wish we knew when we were younger when it came to our money? Things, things like our character. How could we have been more mindful and growing in our character through the different seasons of our lives? And then last week, our guest speaker, Justin, talked about our relationship with our, with our work. How do we have a meaningful, good, and healthy relationship with our work? And all throughout this series, I've been knowing that I was going to be wrapping up this series. And all along, I've been thinking, man, what is it that if I could go back and tell my younger self something that would help my younger self live with more purpose and with less regret, to, to be able to uh, heed the wisdom that I know now, what is it that I would pass along to my younger self? And as I was thinking about that, I was actually thinking, man, what, is, what, what if my future self, you know, when I'm in my 60s, 70s, 80s, whatever, if my future self were to write a letter to me now, what is it that my future self would have to say to me now? And, and the other question that raises is, would I be willing to listen to accept and to practice what my future self would have to say to me now. And you will never, never believe what happened. So last week I was walking out from the service, this incredible service that we had, and I get to my car and I find this piece of paper on the windshield of my car, guys. No, no lies. And I'm thinking, you know, this happens a, 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 a a few times around the year, we've got lots of restaurants, lots of businesses. Sometimes it's a coupon or just a flyer for one of the restaurants in town. So I pick it up and I'm just going to throw it away. But then when I look at this piece of paper, it says, to Brad. From, get this, no your future self. Like, you guys, you guys, I'm like, what? I have a letter from my future self on the windshield of my car. How is this possible? This isn't possible. Time travel is not possible, but maybe in the future time travel is possible. I don't know, but I get this letter and I read it and I thought that I might start my message today with this letter that I actually got from my future self. Do you want to hear what this letter said? Yeah. Okay, good. So uh, I have to find it first. There it is. There it is. I'm, I'm telling you, I'm not lying. To Brad. So, so here's what uh, future Brad says. First of all, future Brad writes with really small words. And current Brad is getting older. So here's what it says. It says, dear younger Brad, this is strange to be writing my younger self, but I'm guessing it's even stranger for you to be reading a letter from your future self. Yeah. But because I was in your shoes once, I know some of the things that are going on in your life right now. 
And I know that you're working on a message about what you wish you could tell your younger self. Well, I thought I would help you out by telling you what I wish I could have told myself when I was your age. And here it is. I thought long and hard about all the things I wish I could pass down to you, but it just comes down to two words. Be grateful. Actually, make that three words. Be grateful now. Now, I know as you're, as you're seeing me uh, write this, you were probably hoping for something that feels a little more profound than that. Yeah, yeah. Or maybe you were hoping for some sound investment tips that would pay off down the road. But trust me, this advice, advice that I'm giving you is worth more than whatever stock tips I could give you. But like any investment, start now. Be grateful now. Don't wait because gratitude has too much to offer you to delay it. I wish I hadn't waited until now to be grateful. Sure, there were plenty of Thanksgiving holidays when I took time to be thankful for some of the things in my life. But that gratitude only lasted until dessert. In fact, I know this all sounds a little cliche with it being Thanksgiving weekend and all, but there's a reason we have a holiday for giving thanks. It's because we're terrible at it. We need at least one day out of the year to remember to be thankful. In fact, this is why the Bible reminds us over and over and over again to be grateful. In fact, the kind of gratitude the Bible talks about is a lot bigger than the infrequent, vague, or even the forced sense of thankfulness that, let's be honest, Brad, you and I usually settle for. There's so much more to gratitude than this. What more is there, you ask? Well, you'll need to learn that yourself. But when you do, you'll see that this kind of gratitude will take you far in life. So if you want to learn about it, I'd suggest starting with 1 Thessalonians 5. It's become a favorite passage of mine, and if you happen to use it for this message that you're preparing, it might become a favorite passage of yours too. So don't wait. Be grateful now. I don't know how to sign off a letter to my younger self, so let's just go with, I'll see you later. Future Brad. There you have it. A letter that I actually got from my future self. This is what my future self wants me to know today, to be grateful now. This is what future me wants for me now. And maybe it's what future you wants for you too. But as I've been leaning into this this week and reflecting on this, here's what I've become convinced of. It's what God wants for all of us. So I went to this verse that future me told me to start with. It's from 1 Thessalonians 5. And, and I want to show it to us because there's a lot here in 1 Thessalonians. This is what these three verses have to say. They say, rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, and then catch this, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. This is God's will for you. How many times in our lives, how many times in your life have you asked the question of God, God, what's your will for me? Right? It's, we were always wondering, God, is it your will for me to take this job or stay where I'm at? God, is it your will for me to marry this person or not? Is it your will for me to move to this city or to that one? And so often when we think of God's will, we think of it as some sort of, of maze and that we're trying to find our way through and we don't want to make the wrong choice. But hear this, God's will for you isn't some mysterious plan that he's waiting to see if you figure it out or not. God's will for you is, is simply his desire for you. It's the best that he wants for you. And he doesn't keep this a secret. 
In fact, the will that God has for you becomes clear in these verses. It's to rejoice always. It's to pray continually. And it's to give thanks in all circumstances. This is God's will for you and for me. And so what I want to do is I want to look at these things more closely because gratitude, here's where we get gratitude wrong. Gratitude isn't something that we simply conjure up in our life. It's not a, a, a switch that we just flip because some letter, some preacher, some Bible verse told us to be more grateful. We can't just snap our fingers and be more grateful. It's not something we conjure up. It's something we cultivate. And I think in these verses, it gives us a few ways that we can cultivate gratitude in our life. So I just want to walk through them together, start to finish in the, here in this passage. Here's the, here's the first thing the passage tells us to cultivate gratitude. It says, rejoice always. Rejoice always. When's the last time you rejoiced? Now, I know rejoice is kind of like a churchy word, so we don't think like, well, shoot, maybe it was on Wednesday I rejoiced, uh, maybe last Sunday I rejoiced. But to rejoice is simply to react with joy, to respond to something with joy. In other words, it's to celebrate. If you need another picture for what it means to rejoice, it's to do this. This is rejoicing. When was the last time you did this? Maybe you didn't actually do this but you might have sent this to someone as an expression of you rejoicing, right? And I want you to think back in your week, in your life, when's the last time you rejoiced, you celebrated, you reacted to something with joy? And here's what I want us to do. It's Thanksgiving weekend. I want us to take just a quick moment and talk to someone next to you, okay? Maybe you came in with someone. Maybe you're sitting next to someone who looks friendly. If you're sitting next to someone who doesn't look friendly, you don't have to talk to them. Just look the other way or look down. That's okay. But just talk to the person next to you for about 15 seconds. When's the last time you rejoiced? Share it with them. Ask them the last time that they rejoiced. And then in just a minute, I'll pull us back together. So go for it. Talk to one another. About 15 seconds. You can do it. All right. All right, let's hear, let's, let's hear from one another. If you're if online, you can share it in the chat. You just type it on in there. But here in the room, just shout out, wherever you are, when's the last time you rejoiced about something? Someone, someone go first. Last night. Last night. Was it a sports-related rejoicing? There you go. Yeah, your sports, your sports team did something you wanted them to do, and so you rejoiced. There you go. Just, uh, just yesterday, the, the high school, Gardner won state championship. We've got a lot of Gardner people. Way to go. They were rejoicing because of the state championship. Maybe you weren't rejoicing yesterday because your team didn't do what you wanted them to do. But uh, yeah, last night. What else? When's the, when's the last time you rejoiced about something? Thanksgiving. The snow. The snow came and you're rejoicing because it just, man, that's cool to wake up and to see that out there on the ground. When else? When have you rejoiced about something? When your son got home. Yeah, parents welcoming kids home from college. That's right, coming home, getting to be together. That's a significant occasion. What else? When have you rejoiced about something recently? Last weekend. Last weekend. Why last weekend? 
You went and visited the college you were going to, so you were rejoicing that, man, there's this exciting thing that's going to happen down the road. Anything else? Maybe one more? You rejoiced this morning when the band played. Yeah, when we got here and the band was leading us in this worship. That's absolutely awesome. Yeah, this, baptisms, right? Rejoicing with these people who are making this bold declaration in their life that the most important thing to them is Jesus and they want the whole world to know that, right? There are these moments. There are these powerful moments in our life, our life with God, our, our, our life with our families, whatever it may be, our careers, that we rejoice, these significant moments because they're so special. And so Paul tells us, why do I say this? Because Paul tells us, rejoice always, Always. Which, which, kind, which to me feels a little lofty. Like rejoicing every Sunday, okay, I got time for that, right? You know, rejoicing when some of these, you know, big games happen, yep, that's good, that works out. I, Paul, it feels like a lot to rejoice always, to rejoice every minute, basically, here's what always is, every minute of every day, rejoice. Really, Paul? And so, so the, the question is, why don't we rejoice more than we do? You know, maybe always feels a little bit too much, but why don't we rejoice more than we do? Why is it that we have to go back weeks or, or even years for some of us to think about times that we've rejoiced over something? Is it that we don't have more in our life to celebrate? I don't think so. Is it because we're just too tired or stressed to rejoice about things? Maybe you know, is, is Paul just maybe too, too outlandish and lofty in this, this invitation to rejoice always? I don't think that's it either. But psychologists have actually learned something that can help us. What they, have, what they have shown us is that our brains, your brain, my brain actually adapts, hear this, our brains adapt to the good things in our lives. Our brains will adapt to the things that are, that are, that are joy-worthy, that are worthy of being celebrated. Our brains get used to those things. They're all over our lives, but we adapt, meaning we forget about them. And when we get used to the good things in our lives, we stop rejoicing and we stop being grateful for them. The psychologists have a phrase for this. It's called the hedonic treadmill. Hedonic meaning pleasure. Treadmill meaning you know, a treadmill, like, you know, the piece of exercise equipment. Some of you run on the others of us, we just throw our towels on them and they serve really well for that purpose. But the treadmill, that we're always running after something, that we as people, our brains are wired to always be running towards something good, to something more good, that we want more good in our life, which means that we're forgetting about the good that we have in our life and we're stopping the act of rejoicing over the things that we do have. So the principle says that no matter how much good we have in our lives, no matter how much good we have to be grateful for, we are always running towards something more. And so our assumption, when we run on this treadmill, our assumption is that the world is always tilted against us, right? That we're always more focused about what's working against us than what's working for us. And when that's the case, instead of feeling gratitude, what we tend to feel is discouragement, bitterness, Envy for those who, who don't seem to have it as hard as we do. Jealousy. Resentful and, and, and above all, maybe just ungrateful. Ungrateful because we've gotten used to what we have going for us. 
This is really what author G.K. Chesterton wrote almost 100 years before psychologists revealed this in their studies. What Chesterton wrote is that when it comes to life, the critical thing is whether you take things for granted or you take them with gratitude. That kind of stings a little bit, doesn't it? Do we take the things that we have in our life for granted or do we take them with gratitude? And so how do we take things with gratitude? How do we not just take them for granted? The way that we do this, Chesterton tells us and the social psychologists tell us is that we don't forget all of the joy-inducing things that we have in our lives. And if we, if we go back to 1 Thessalonians, if we go back to these verses, these, this, is, this is what's happening in this passage. These verses come from a letter that a guy named Paul is writing to some dear, dear friends of his living in the city of Thessalonica in modern-day Greece. And these friends of his are being persecuted. Caesar, you know, the, the most powerful person in the land, is not happy that these Christians are more loyal to a different king than they are to him. And so he's persecuting them and even taking some of their loved ones and, and even killing them. Many have lost their lives about this. So Paul, knowing the challenges that his friends are up against, Paul spends the majority of his letter to them reminding them, opening their eyes to everything that they have in Christ, not just everything they have, everything that they have been given. He's saying to them, don't forget about these things. Don't stop seeing what you have going for you. In fact, he talks about how because of Christ, in Christ, you have been given salvation. In Christ, you have been given hope. In Christ, you have been given a promise in his return. And just before Paul tells them this encouragement to, to rejoice always, he says this, he sums it all up, everything that he's been showing them and reminding them. He says, for God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. We didn't deserve God's salvation, Paul said. What we deserved was punishment. What we deserved was the consequences of our sin. But God had something else in mind for us. He made a way through Jesus so that we could be saved. And he's coming back so that whether we're still alive or whether we're asleep, meaning we passed on from this life, he's making a way for us to be alive with him forever. Do you hear, do you hear what Paul's doing? Do you hear him reminding him of everything that they have in Christ? Don't forget all of this, Paul says. Don't let the, the obstacles, the very real, the very true, the very big obstacles that are up against you keep you from seeing all of the good that is in your life, all of the good that gives you reason to rejoice, to rejoice always. That's the first thing Paul tells us. Rejoice always. Here's the second thing. He says, and pray continually. Pray continually. Uh, prayer is, uh, I said this first service, no one, no one agreed with me, but I'm hoping you guys will. Uh, prayer is a little bit intimidating. Yeah, okay, good. Uh, at least there's one other person. Prayer is an intimidating thing. It's intimidating for me too. I'll tell you what, you know that moment at Thanksgiving, this was just a couple of days ago, you know that moment between before Thanksgiving dinner when you're all standing in a circle or you're sitting at the table and you're wondering who grandma is gonna call on to pray for the meal, Right? Uh, you know what I'm thinking in that moment? I'm thinking, please don't pick me, please don't pick me, please don't pick me, please don't pick me, right? And fortunately, fortunately, uh, um, uh, Grandma uh, did not. 
pick me, um, she picked my brother. So you know what he said when she picked him? He said, but I prayed last year. (laughs) He's a pastor too. Because prayer is an intimidating thing. No matter how long you've been praying, you might be intimidated. But in fact, we know this. And so after, as we go into the new year, we're already planning, how can, how can we talk more about prayer? Because this is too important of our lives and our relationship with God to not, to not have confidence in this. And so we're going to spend some time after the new year doing this. But I, I love what, our, what I've learned about prayer from our friend and our retired pastor, Tom Bronner. He says this. He says, prayer is simply the daily conversation of our friendship with God. I love that. You should write that down. Someone take a picture of that. Prayer is simply the daily conversation. It's the daily chatter of your friendship. Such a key word. Your friendship with God. In fact, recently I was talking with Tom and he asked me, so what are you and God talking about these days, Brad? This is why I love talking to Tom. No one else in my life asked me what God and I are talking about these days, right? This is why it's good to have Toms and pastors and friends to kind of walk with us on our life with Christ. And so as I thought about his question, what God and I are usually talking about is the hard stuff. A lot of time when God and I talk, it's me bringing up what I'm stressing out about. And to be honest, I kind of feel guilty about that. And as I'm stressing out about stuff, talking to God about this, I'm, I'm wondering, I am imagining God is listening to me and thinking to himself, geez, Brad, I get it. <laughs> Finances are tight, marriage is hard, you're worried about your kids. Can we move on to something else, right? Anyone else ever feel like that? And I was sharing this with Tom, and he just kind of looked at me with a gentle, friendly, pastorly face, and What he reminded me is that God, he said, Brad, if God is the type of father that Jesus says that he is, and let's assume he is, if God is that type of father, then what you and I need to know is that he just loves the sound of your voice. Because remember, prayer is not simply the daily conversation of your friendship with God. Prayer is the daily conversation of his friendship with you. It's a daily conversation of his friendship with me. And here's the other thing about prayer. When we engage in this daily conversation, when we pray, we are inviting God to enlarge our perspective of two things. To enlarge our perspective of who God is and what he can do. You see, when we come to God in prayer, we usually begin with our perspective on something. I'll go first. It's kind of like this. I say to God, okay, God, there's this thing going on in my life. And it's kind of making me feel like this, and I don't love it, and I don't know what to do. But if you're open to suggestions, I have some ideas, right? And so I I come in, and I just begin with my perspective on something, and then I even offer God my solutions. They're my solutions based on the resources that I think are, are available. But when we pray, what's happening is that we are actually invited to remember who we're praying to. And we're invited to remember what God has done in the past. And that God has resources and purposes that are bigger than ours. And then our perspective, this is what happens. When we pray, our perspective just grows bigger and bigger and bigger than when we started. See, three times in Paul's letter to the Thessalonians, he prays for them. Three times in this this letter. It's, It's like only five chapters long. And he prays for them. 
Right there at the beginning, he says, he, he, says, he just prays in thankfulness for the Thessalonians and their, fi- and, their, and their faith. About halfway through the letter, he prays again. I love this. He's just like writing and all of a sudden he flips into prayer. I wonder if this is what Paul was like in person. Like you'd be talking to them and talking to him and all of a sudden he would just start praying for you. And you're like, oh, like we're praying now. But I kind of love that because it's a chance to eavesdrop on what Paul is praying for you, right? Have you ever just gotten to listen to someone pray for you and eavesdrop what their conversation with God about you is and just felt humbled and grateful as they used words that you wouldn't have come up with, as they prayed things that you never would have asked for, but they have the boldness and the love of you to do that? This is what Paul's doing for the Thessalonians. And so he prays in the middle, he just prays that in the midst of the persecution that they're, fa- that they're facing, that their hearts would be strengthened and that they would be able to live bold lives. And then right at the end of this letter, right at the end of this letter, he prays one more time for his friends. He says to them, may God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ because the one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. Again, listen listen to Paul. Do you see how big his perspective is? Do you hear how big his confidence is? That, That God, God himself, Paul says, the God of peace, he reminds them. The God who has made peace in your relationship with them, the God who can make peace in your heart that is filled with strife and anxiety, may the God of that peace, may he sanctify them, Paul prays. And to sanctify just means to make holy, and to make holy really just means to become more like Jesus. He says, may God sanctify you. He can and he will do it, Paul says, because he's also a God who is, catch this word, faithful. And when we are in midst of trying circumstances, what we need to remember is that God is faithful. Paul's prayer is enlarging their perspective beyond the circumstances that they face because this is what happens when we pray. We see who God is. We see what he can do. And we see, we make room for God in our perspective. We make room for his purpose and for his power in our circumstances. And when that happens, Then we can do this third and final thing that Paul instructs us. If we want to cultivate gratitude, we rejoice always, we pray continually, and we give thanks in all circumstances. Notice that Paul says, in all circumstances. Paul doesn't say, say, give thanks for all circumstances. Because there are circumstances that you and I face that you will not be thankful for. But Paul says there is no circumstance that we will find ourselves in that we cannot be thankful in. There's circumstances that we're in that we'll never be grateful for because they're just what we'll call hard. Hard circumstances. It's the hard people in your life, the coworker, the ex-spouse, the difficult family member. It's the hard problems you face, the financial stress, the health situation, the job that you haven't found yet. But Paul tells us there is no circumstance, even these and even worse ones, that we can't be grateful in, even if we're not grateful for. How? This is, this is how. And I think this is the gratitude that the letter I read at the beginning that future Brad wanted me to learn. It's because of this kind of big gratitude, big, deep gratitude that is possible. The gratitude is possible when we see who God is, what he's done, and what he's doing. 
Gratitude is possible. It's not only possible, it's the byproduct. It's the unavoidable byproduct of what happens when we take time to see, to remember who God is, what he's doing, and what he's, what he's done, and what he's doing. When we remember those things, this is what gives us fuel, the fuel that we need to trust that God is doing something no matter what we face, even in the hard circumstances that we face. This is why in another letter in the New Testament, it actually shows up in lots of letters, but in another letter in the New Testament written by James, the half-brother of Jesus, he says to his readers who were also facing persecution, this was kind of a common thing in the first century for followers of Christ. James writes to them right off the bat, second verse of the whole letter. He says, consider it pure joy whenever you face trials of many kinds. It says consider. The word consider, that means to think before making a decision. Because when we face trials of any kind, we usually make a decision about, about what, the, what that trial is. This is not a good thing, right? But James says, you know what? Before, before you make that decision, think carefully. Consider. Consider it joy when you face those trials. All sorts of trials. What's a trial? It's anything that is testing you and is making your life harder. James says, consider how God is using this trial for some good in your life. Because this testing will produce perseverance. Perseverance meaning that it's going to make you strong. It's going to make you steadfast. And that perseverance must finish its work. It's not going to be a slow thing. It's not going to be a momentary thing. It's going to take time. And it must finish its work so that you are mature and complete. Because in the New Testament especially, when it talks about becoming mature, it's not just talking about being smart or, or being wise or just being older. To be mature in the New Testament meant to be complete. It meant to be whole, which is why, which is why James says, so that you will not be lacking anything. Because there is something in each of our lives that God looks at us and knows is lacking. And he's not afraid to use the hard circumstances of our lives to build those things into our life so that we can trust, we can trust that God is using those circumstances to do so. And so maybe he's using a tough time in your life to build patience in you. Maybe he's using a hard circumstance to build love and compassion in you for those that you struggle to love and have compassion for. Maybe he's using a hard circumstance to build the faith that you lack or the humility that you benefit from. See, gratitude is possible when we remember who God is, what he's done, and what he's doing because he loves us. And anything that he's doing in our life, he's doing so, he's doing so for our good, for the benefit of others, and for his own glory. Gratitude helps us to trust that. As I was thinking about this, I realized that the older I get, I actually become more thankful for some of the circumstances in, our li in my life that I never thought I would ever be thankful for. Not all. But as I get older and kind of distance passes between some of the hard things that have happened in life, I actually gain gratitude for those seasons. I gain gratitude, I increase in gratitude for the hard people that I faced. I become more grateful for the hard problems that I was up against and the hard seasons that God allowed in my life. And even if I wasn't thankful in those circumstances, there's some of them that I can look back on and be thankful for them. 
And maybe you can too. Because even though you would never wish the hardship or pain that you experienced on anyone else, even though you would never want to go back through that again, you can look back and you could know that God wasn't wasting that. He was using that circumstance, hard as it was, to do something good in your life. And so as we close, here's the question that I have for us this week. What's getting in the way of that kind of gratitude for you? Maybe it's a circumstance that you're in the midst of right now, or maybe it's something that you went through a while ago. Maybe it's some of that bitterness or that resentment that we talked about. Maybe it's losing sight of all of the good that you have been given and trusting that anything that is good in your life is from a God who loves you. Or maybe it's because of a limited perspective that just hasn't made room for God in it. Think about that this week. And if you want to know how to break through that obstacle, whatever it is that's getting in the way of your gratitude that God wants for you, listen to the voice of God telling you to rejoice always. Because when we rejoice, our eyes are be open are being open to who he is. Rejoice always. Pray continually. Because as we pray, we see, we remember all that he has done in our life to prove himself faithful. And give thanks in all circumstances. Trusting that he's working in whatever circumstance that we're in. And so as we wrap up this morning, um, I'm not gonna pick up the guitar and play a song. It seems someone has done that for me. But I do have something that I, as we wrap up this series, as we, as we wrap up this month, as we wrap up this Thanksgiving holiday, uh, I do have something I wanna share. And it's, a, it's a letter I wrote to Future Me. Uh, confession, the letter I wrote to you at the beginning from Future Me, it wasn't actually from Future Me, okay? That's not possible. There is no time travel. You, may not have known that, but um, I did write a letter to future me. And that is possible. Because there are some things that I want my future self to hold on to and to know. And so here's what I wrote. I said, hey, future Brad, there was a time in your life when you gave a sermon on gratitude and how there is never a season that we go through that we can't be grateful. Here's my encouragement for you. Do all you can to not forget that. God has given you plenty. He has given you people and memories and opportunities and even challenges. And each one of these is a gift from a heavenly father who loves you. You'll face things in life that will make you question his love. But no matter how much you question it, it won't change the love that he has for you. You'll be up against challenges so big that you'll lose sight of all the things that you've been given. And when that happens, Listen to the words that you once shared with others. That gratitude is what's possible when you remember who God is, what he's done, and what he's doing. Keep remembering that. Because my hunch is there's always more to be grateful for than we realize. Sincerely, formerly you. Former you. You. Hey, as we go from here, can you stand and let me pray for us as we go into this week. 
So Heavenly Father, I thank you that anything that we know about you, what we especially know about you, is because of what you have revealed to us through your word, through your son, through your Holy Spirit. That we trust that you are a father, a good father, who has lavished his love upon us, who is the giver of good things. And as we go into this week, Lord, would you help us to continue to see all that you are, all that you've done, and to trust in what you're doing, whether we can see it or not. And would you give us the grace down the road to be able to look back and see, oh, that's, that's what you were doing. And to be thankful for it. And so, especially as we move into this Christmas season, would you help us to approach and go through this season with hearts of gratitude for all that you've done and especially for your promise to one day return so that we can be with you forever. May this gratitude be what defines us in the season. May it be what defines us as a church and as your people in this world. And so Jesus, it's in your name that we pray. And if you agree with us, would you say amen? Amen, amen. Hey everyone, thanks for being here today. If we can pray for you, come forward. Also, we have a small gift for you that's gonna be on your way out uh, the doors as you go into this week. Hope it can be meaningful for you. Have a wonderful week. We'll see you next Sunday.